Hi, everyone. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com. You're listening to another DevOps Chat Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dan Hubbard, CEO of Lacework. Our topic today is Shift Left for DevOps Security. Dan, welcome to DevOps Chat. Hi, thank you very much for having me here. And great to have you on the podcast. Would you start out by introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. We also love to hear about Lacework and what you all do. Certainly. Um, Again, thanks a lot for having us uh, on the podcast today. Uh, So uh, myself, uh, I'm the CEO here at Lacework, and I've been with the company almost two years now. Um, I'm a long timer in security, uh, you know, dating probably a little bit too far back to to go over, but uh, I've been involved in web security, uh, a number of cloud security. Most recently, I was the CTO of a company called OpenDNS, which was acquired by Cisco. Mm -hmm. And then I, I was happy to join at Lacework, and now you know we're building uh, security for the cloud. Very nice. So tell us a little bit more about what Lacework does. Yeah, so Lacework is wholly focused on what I call the second wave of cloud. So the first wave of cloud was really about SaaS and, you know, how do I use, uh, how do I secure applications like Salesforce.com and Google Suite and Dropbox and Box um, and O365. The second wave is really about how do I use compute or infrastructure as a service and platform as a services in the cloud. So our goal in life is to allow you to secure provide compliance and visibility across your entire environment that's deployed in the public cloud, whether it's in uh, AWS, Azure, or GCP. Okay. And so Lacework has been focused on applications that have been deployed in the cloud and the security of those applications, correct? Absolutely. Yep. You could have your applications deployed in one of the big three clouds, or like most customers, you have a multi-cloud environment or a hybrid environment. Multi-cloud being that you're in either, you know, a combination of AWS and GCP or Azure, and hybrid being that you have some of your workloads and infrastructure in your private data center, and then some in one of the one or all of the public clouds. Mm -hmm. Very good. Now, today we're talking about a very recent announcement that you made about shift left for DevOps. So tell us about that. You mentioned that you're, you're doing lots of uh, security for deployed applications in the cloud. How about things that haven't been deployed yet? Yeah, really exciting. So our focus up until now really has, has been you've deployed your app applications into the cloud um, or into a cloud native environment and you're looking for security threats within your containers and hosts and within the configuration of your platform as a service uh, infrastructure. Um, And that's great and you know quite often that's called runtime security. Mm -hmm. I've already deployed. Um, Shift to left, um, what that does is if you can kind of imagine it looking at it, you know the right hand side is runtime, the left hand side is pre-deploy. So pre-deploy actually is really all about how do I fit into the CICD or continuous integration and deployment pipeline of my application developers. So shifting left essentially means how can we move our security a little bit before you deploy and look at vulnerabilities and configurations and best practices of your code and your applications and your containers before you deploy them and then combine that with the runtime environment. So how do we do this? How do we, how do, we do this in the, early in the process that you're talking about at the point of something like a Jenkins tool when things are being brought together? Are you talking about prior to that? Yeah, so first off, the first thing we're doing is we're plugging into your repository of where your containers are. So you may be using, you know, the 
Docker's own repository or Google's or Microsoft's or, um, or, or of course, um, AWS's. Um, so your containers are sitting there. They're waiting to be deployed. You've pushed all your code there. And then it's going to fit into kind of a, some type of deployment mechanism, whether it's Jenkins or, or, or something else. So what we're doing first and foremost is we're scanning all your configurations of all those containers. And we're looking for known vulnerabilities within the applications and the configurations that are sitting there before you deploy them. The next thing we're looking at is how do we determine whether or not there are configurations within those or items within those containers that may lead to problems. So for example, mm -hmm. you may have GitHub keys sitting in there or you may have a piece of malware that's sitting there or a piece of code that you don't want within your container that's combined with the kind of the good stuff you deployed but maybe with some bad stuff. So we're looking at all that through your CICD pipeline but in particular through your repository. So what happens, and, you know, I've quote unquote heard this happens, that things like keys get stuck into things that are checked into GitHub. What happens when you encounter something you see as a vulnerability or a security risk or bad security practices that report or an error gets generated? Is there a remediation suggest for it? How, how does that look to the developer or to the operations person? Yeah, so I think the really interesting thing about this market is that it's a very developer-centric um, you know, world that we're plugging into here. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is we're bringing the security people into that developer-centric world. And depending on the size of the org and, you know, their maturity level, there's varied levels of success, you know, within that. Um, so, you know, DevSecOps is, you know, what this is often, um, mm -hmm. you know, called. But really what it, it kind of comes down to is how do you bake some security processes within your development process and life cycle, and how do you bring, um, you know, whether the security um, kind of intelligence um, and automate that in some way. So what we do is when we find things that are vulnerable, when we find things that are issues before you deploy them, we have reports, um, we have statistics over time, and then we have alerts which tell you, hey, there's something in here that you may not want to deploy. Then there's an API which allows you to hook, and then you can plug that into things like Jenkins or, or stop pushes from happening. Happening. That said, that's very rare. Uh, most people aren't willing to stall their deployment or to slow down their deployment just because of a vulnerability. Typically, they will still push. And that's where a lot of the runtime aspect combined with the build time aspects comes in. Give us an example of that where there is an identified vulnerability, something you might see during the development cycle that does get pushed into production what would be different about what you would see in the pre-production versus in-production uh, reporting of, hey, there's, there's the same vulnerability. Does it look the same? Or yeah. is there different information now that you're in a runtime environment that you're going to see that because it's actually being used? Yeah, th this is a real critical aspect of it. So if you just set up kind of a build time environment and we're scanning for vulnerabilities, you would have alert fatigue. There would be you know, there's so many applications that have quote unquote vulnerabilities in them mm -hmm. um, that you would just get all these alerts and problems and you would just be looking at them. Going, what am I going to do here? I just stop all my development and let's, you know, go home. Um, what we do is we will tell you that those are there. But then once you push them into runtime, what you really want to know is not are there vulnerabilities, but am I vulnerable? Mm -hmm. so a good example is let's say that you have, you know, something like shell shock. You've got something that you know there's a vulnerability somewhere within your code before you push it. Well, that's something you probably want to stop. You may not want that to be pushed, but let's just say it gets pushed. 
Well, that really only becomes super interesting when you make a configuration change that says a security group has now been changed, so port 80 is open to the internet. Mm -hmm. Now you really want to know, okay, not only am I, do I have a vulnerability, but I'm actually vulnerable as a company versus I have a container that's running that, you know, it's not open to the internet. There's a security group. It's in a research team maybe somewhere. No one in the world can actually connect to it. Those are pretty two different um, exposures, and you mm -hmm. want to know the difference between those. Furthermore, in the runtime environment, you don't want to just know if someone's, if it's open to the internet, but then you want to know if someone actually connects, and then you want to know if it's exploited, and then what happens after the vulnerability gets exploited, and that's really where we combine the runtime and the build time aspects together. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I've always termed that as, is the vulnerability exploitable or not? Because you're yeah. in a situation or you've done things. There's other ways to remediate besides patching something. Of course. To be able to yep. accommodate for a vulnerability. Say some more about what happens on that exploit situation where it does actually happen. Yeah. So the way our system works is, so we're, we're a cloud-native uh, service, uh, a SaaS a security service mm -hmm. ourselves is, you, you can think of us as we're a big ingestion engine. We will ingest all of the APIs across all of your cloud providers, things like your configuration and your audit logs across the big three clouds. And with that, what we're doing is we're looking at what is my security exposure from just a configuration perspective? Do I have open you know, storage buckets with unauthentication? Am I you know, storing data at rest that's not encrypted? Um, do I have security groups that say, you know, things like my containers are open to the world? So that is a very, very, um, you know, quick moving, changing thing, and it's all programmable. So security people want to know what's happening from a config perspective because everything's mm -hmm. run, infrastructure is code. The next one is we have a very small, lightweight um, agent that gets deployed either on your um, virtual machines or within your containers. What the agent is doing is it's looking at all your applications and processes and pairing that with network traffic and user traffic. And that gets sent to us also. So the combination of all of your configurations and all the changes of those and the information we're collecting from the host allows us to kind of join the information together to say, okay, now a machine has been exploited. So how did it get exploited? Did someone connect from the outside? Did they connect from the inside? Then what did they do? Was there a new application that get installed? Is it an application we've ever, we've ever never seen before? Or is it something we just know is bad? Or is this something that's routine that the developers always do over time? And then we start tracking things like, where did the application go? Um, did it move laterally within my infrastructure? Did it move mm -hmm. to another cluster? Did it maybe download new code and did that run? And then we'd have a number of statistics around traffic patterns, um, you know, how bytes transferred. Um, did the user add another user? Did they escalate their privileges? And a bunch of information around the forensics of, of the attack itself. Now, do you provide the actual kind of tool to manage the incident management process or are you a resource, information resource to an incident process? We, we, we usually plug into another tool, which allows you mm -hmm. to do that. Okay. Um, certainly our tool is used in addition to um, other tools to do forensics because you can go back in time. So you could go back and say, hey, 30 days ago at 8 p.m., you know, what, uh, what happened? Or, you know, I know that this, we have an indicator, which is maybe a username or a hash or a name of an API. 
how has this changed over the last six months? So you, we do track all of that stuff, but usually we, we are ingesting data and then we're exporting it into JIRA or another or Splunk or um, ServiceNow or another system, which is actually where the actual real triage is taking place and the tracking mm-hmm. is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, by far the most the two popular, most popular ones are Slack, we have a Slack mm-hmm. integration where you know all the alerts are going to Slack and you're triaging through there or uh, directly through JIRA, which is creating tickets. I can believe either one or both of those are going to hit 80 plus percent of the population, maybe more, Yeah, <laughs> especially if you can go into Slack. Talk a little bit about where is this in the state of the art of where things are for managing security of uh, serverless containerized applications. Is the announcement that you've made kind of where the current state of the art is or have you advanced it in some way? So uh, I think what's interesting is there's a set of vendors, you know, if you think about this, the cloud IaaS and past security market, um, our thesis is that it's going to be a little bit different than most security markets. Most security markets, what happens is usually, you know, there's anywhere from 10 to 50 winners and, you know, major market share is, you know, 5%. And, and you see this in, in the challenge that, um, you know, the environments that you run into is, you know, you talk to a CISO or somebody say, how many security products do you have for your infrastructure? Oh, I got 50 or 40 or 30. And there are all these disparate tools that are coming from different places or, you know, a vendor has bought five companies and none of them are integrated together. We think this is going to be a little bit different. We think the ability to do compliance configuration account and container security kind of all belongs together and you want to have Mm. visibility and efficacy across all of those. And furthermore, because it is a very API-centric world, it's, it's much easier to do that. You know, the, the operating model is very different. So I think what the, although the CICD stuff that we're doing may not, and things like vulnerability assessment may mm-hmm. not be particularly unique. You know, there's other uh, companies out there that are doing that. What, but what I think is unique is taking the combination of that and the runtime and putting those two things together along with all your configuration and compliance in one platform. That's where we think there's a big win in not having to buy five or six tools and, and getting the data um, you know, in one place where you can triage all of this stuff together. Mm-hmm. So having a, a pre-integrated tool or, or maybe looked at it a different way, it's almost sort of the life cycle of we can look all the way back into where in the development process a vulnerability might have been introduced. And are there other things in how we operate of uh, updating libraries or deciding what code, code resources we're going to use or whatever it might be, ways of how vulnerabilities might be getting into the process and see what the net effect of that through the entire life cycle of an application might be. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing to remember is this this whole kind of cloud native world is still very nascent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, although we run into companies that obviously are operating this way, the, 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 the standard is kind of to be non-standard. You know, most people we run to, although they may have containers, they may have one group that has a very forward thinking way of deploying and managing sure. their infrastructure. Yeah. They almost always have five other groups that are doing it differently. So mm. some may have bare metal, some may, you know, be operating with, you know, a monolithic application. Um, you know, it's not all companies that have full containers, you know, full cloud native microservices with, you know, all these great new things that are out there. Um, it's very, very rare, especially in larger companies as they migrate things to the cloud. 
in the larger scheme of things, the, the amount of greenfield applications are pretty small in the beginning of a new technology wave. Yeah. And, and I think what's, what's happening is, you know, if, obviously if you started a company today, you know, you're going to do this. This is just sure. the, the yeah. way modern, you know, development is happening. Mm-hmm. But the reality is most of the cloud infrastructure is filled with people that are migrating um, and or adding new applications. So if you're a really big company, you know, you probably have a bunch of legacy stuff that you're going to want to migrate. But every new application that gets created is probably going to be built this way. Mm-hmm. So it's really about how do you manage and secure kind of the the net sum of all of these things. And you don't want to go off and buy, you know, one tool for just my containers, maybe one for my vulnerabilities, one for my runtime environment, one for my compliance. You want a platform that kind of pulls all these things together and fits within the cloud provider's tools. So who who are who's the customer you're selling this? Who buys this? Is it the security group? Is it an audit organization? Is that the dev team? Is it sort of the head of IT trying to get control of things? Who's the person that's going to step up to the plate and say, hey, we need this? In most cases, um, the budget comes from security. Mm-hmm. Um, however, DevOps is a major influencer um, and in many times is the champion in our accounts. Um, that said, um, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, definitely as you go down market, those groups are kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in the most mature organizations, we're seeing the security organization being more of a guiding um, org that is, you know, providing governance and tooling. Mm-hmm. And then people are putting security baked into each one of their teams. And they, you know, they create an organization that has security baked into DevOps. And then they have a governing org that is doing, um, you know, compliance, configuration, best practices, maybe some tooling across, of, uh, across them. Um, but it's a bit of a mixed bag right now. There's not one thing that says, oh, DevOps always buys it or security always buys it. Mm-hmm. But mostly it's still security budget that it's coming from, uh, for sure. But heavily, heavily influenced by DevOps and certainly every one of our customers, we know the DevOps people, we talk to them. The big difference here is that if there is a security event, the security people go to DevOps. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a firewall or antivirus or a desktop security product where they can triage all the stuff on their own. They have to have the help and the assistance of the developers and the DevOps uh, team and the SREs for sure. I would imagine there are a large number of incidents where, and I don't mean incidents in production, but situations where DevOps team says, hey, I see this lace work and what it does. This will answer many of the questions or things that we're being asked to do by our security team. Let's take this to them, show them how this will help satisfy the requirements, how we work together, provide information, et cetera, et cetera, to solve that problem and then jointly implemented. Is that a, is that a likely scenario? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair to say, you know, uh, often what happens is there's a group somewhere within a big company that has a SaaS service. Um, that's, you know, B2B. What happens mm-hmm. is their customers start going to them and going, Hey, how do I, if I'm going to put my data there and my customer's information, you know, our intellectual property in your, cl- you know, in your cloud service, how do we know it's secure? How, you know, are you SOC 2? Do you adhere to PCI? You know, uh, what, what's your, your brief, each uh, detection and that we often come in from a sales perspective is we're helping our customers assure their customers that they're secure. Well, Dan, uh, congratulations on the announcement. It's very exciting uh, to hear that you're taking what you've learned from the production environment and uh, 
really moving that upstream, uh, that shift left. And uh, glad to hear that you're doing that. And I wish you the best. I hope this is a very successful launch for you. Thank you very much, Mitch. And uh, I love the podcast and I'll continue to uh, listen uh, to your uh, newest ones. All right. Well, checks in the mail. Thanks for that. <laughs> okay. Have a good one. All right. I'd like to thank Dan Hubbard, CEO of Lacework, for joining us. I'd like to thank you, you, our listeners, of course, for joining us today. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you've listened to another DevOps chat. Be careful out.